Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. Imagine you're nine years old and you want the new hottest toy. What would you do? Would you ask your parents for the money? Or maybe spend some of your birthday money to buy it? My guess is very few of our nine-year-old selves would have created a business to raise the funds. I also wouldn't have thought to convince my parents to change me to homeschooling so I could have more time to focus on my business, but today's guest did just that. Joining me on the show is 15-year-old entrepreneur Benjamin Wong. Benjamin is the founder of Kids CEO Media, a youth-run communications company dedicated to uplifting the growing community of young entrepreneurs. His seminal projects include the Kid CEO podcast and a virtual summit he hosted for kid entrepreneurs to meet and learn from their peers. Once again, doing all of this while battling the pressures of being a teenager. I hope you walk away from this conversation with the energy to fight back from the conformity that is squashing your most thrilling dreams. We'll also discuss how to build your own community, the importance of staying open-minded, and what Web 3.0 can do for creators. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the extraordinary and anything but typical Benjamin Wong. Been super excited to have you on. You are so different than the demographic that I've had on previously. You at nine started this entrepreneurial journey and um, you had this uh, business, your uh, initial business was started out of this impetus for this desire for a Star Wars Fungo Pop, uh, which is so hilarious. But instead of what I thought any nine-year-old would do, which is go ask your parents for money, you instead did what? So this was 2015, the year of Star Wars, and the new Force Awakens came out. So naturally, as any young young boy or girl at the time, I watched the movie and I was like, oh, this is so cool. So I watched all the other movies, but another aspect of my life that I should talk about is I've always really loved like collecting things. I did a little bit of stamp collecting, coin collecting for my birthday sometimes. I'd ask my grandparents and, and aunts and uncles for these collectibles. So when Star Wars came around, it was, you know, I really loved Star Wars. I also loved collectibles and these bobbleheads look pretty cool. And there were some that were exclusives that you could only get at certain conventions. And there were like these mystery boxes for them. I loved it and I still do. And I could have asked my parents, but it didn't really feel necessary. I think, I don't know exactly where I got that, you know, sense of frugality from. I didn't, even at nine, didn't really think a, a Funko Pop was, was too necessary of a purchase, but I still wanted it. So I went outside, uh, I had some avocado trees, picked some avocados, got a few giant bins from the garage, also got a little ladder, me and two of my friends. We basically spent an hour or two hours climbing the tree on the ladder. We'd pick avocados, throw them down, um, and and that was that. And then we hired my little sister and her friend, who also happened to be here, and we hired them to do some marketing for us. So they got some cardboard that was next to the trash can and would write like, avocados here, a dollar each, or avocados, healthy or things like that. And we take them out to the street corner. It was a big street and there was always a baseball game next to our house. So there'd be a ton of cars coming up. We'd wave down people, you know, avocados, a dollar each. They're healthy. They're huge. And then what was funny was on Monday when I got back to school, a lot of my friends played baseball at the games. So they'd say like, oh, Ben, you know, I saw you on the street. What were you selling? And I'd explain to them, you know, I was selling avocados. Uh, that was the start, really, and it was just a spontaneous thing. I, I hadn't thought about avocados my entire life. I just wanted something, so I went outside and I got it. Uh, and that was a really rewarding experience, and I think that really set the the foundation for everything else. Hmm. Did you make enough to buy your fungo pop? Yep. And <laughs> and actually, fun story. Uh, we're moving now, and so I'm trying to liquidate some of those fungo pops, and like. Honestly, I, I not, they're not huge investments. You could have put the money in the stock market into better, but I, I, I've been selling them lately. And it's actually, you know, pretty good choices I picked um, nice. a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's super cool. So 
in that, you know, I'm assuming were your parents around whenever you decided to go back out back and, and pick avocados? Did they, were they curious of what you were doing? Did they guide you in any way to say, Ben, what are you doing? <laughs> Leave those avocados for us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had, we had so many avocados, uh, at that, at that place that, um, it was like, yeah, go ahead, take them. I don't, I don't think they were surprised, nor do I think they expected, um, me or us to, to do it again and, or, or make the money back. My dad might've been like gardening or he might've just gotten home. Both of those uh, are pictures in my mind, but I don't think they expected, nor were they surprised that, that we did it once and then we did it again. Um, and they were always super supportive, definitely. They'd drive us out to the corner. Um, they'd, my dad would always see if he can help like give us a new ladder or he'd always tell us to be safe and stuff. So they were always super supportive. Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so I came to the U S from Canada at age one. My parents were both working at our family business. My uncle was a CEO. It was a, it was a food business and it moved from Canada down to Los Angeles at age at my age one and so from there they were there for years they left in around 2017 2018 to my mom uh, she wanted to spend a lot more time with us she she realized that that being a mom um, was something she really really enjoyed and she could kind of complement that with the business so my parents started a, a snack business which they still run today so that was definitely very much in my blood 2017, 2018, when I was even younger, you know, 11, 12, 13, going to these Expo Wests or, or going to these events and, and selling people my parents' products. And that definitely helped. And it, I think it's also a, a huge reason why I still do what I'm doing today. And I really think that there are a lot more kids who have these entrepreneurial tendencies. They just don't have the amount of support that I'm super fortunate to have. Was there any question about you being an entrepreneur? Was it always expected or did this nine-year-old avocado business start that, that journey? I don't think it was ever expected for me, you know, to be an entrepreneur or, or a businessman. I mean, I have two sisters. The older one is going to college next year to be a pediatric physical therapist. My younger one really loves art. Uh, so I don't think it was ever an expectation for me to be a businessman. I think though, there was always those tendencies, even when I was a little bit younger to do things like host our family uh, talent shows, you know, during Christmas. Um, but I don't think there was ever an expectation. I think the avocado thing was a spontaneous, you know, reaction to wanting something. And that I think really is the start of, yeah. of my journey. Yeah. And you've definitely teased out that entrepreneurship is, is still really important focus of your life, but you didn't turn into an avocado distributor. You right. opened up many other projects now. So you right. founded a company called Kid CEO. You're the host of multiple podcasts, one being Young Trip Podcast, the other being Kid CEO Podcast. And then you co-host this really interesting show called Two Kids on a Block, which is a great name. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about the journey into entrepreneurship. After I did my initial avocado things. I might've done it once or more twice to get more Funko Pops. But from there, as they got a little bit older, there was you know some gaps. Uh, when I got back to it, maybe a, a few months later, my new interest wasn't so much in Funko Pops. It was in stock trading and investing. I was on my 11th birthday, my dad opened total, up. Total, you know, 11 year old interest. Yep. I, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so on, on my 11th birthday, my my dad, he was like, hey, Ben, you know, you've always been interested in business. You want to try stock trading? And so on my 11th birthday, he opened up me a, a stock trading account, deposited me $100 as a birthday gift. And there I was. Uh, and actually, surprisingly, my uncle bought me a share of Disney a few years earlier. Um, so from there, I really enjoyed owning a company. I would go around telling my friends, you know, Hey, I, I actually, I own Disney or, Oh, you're wearing Nike. I own that. So, so it's, it was a nice little flex, even though I owned a, a very, very small percentage of the actual company, it, it made me feel good. And then also there were certain trades, like I invested in advanced micro devices at $17 a share. Currently it's at like 
over a hundred, I think maybe even a little higher. Mm. Um, I sold it a year back, so I, I didn't see those huge returns, but it was a, it was a fun game and it was really, I never took it too seriously. Um, I, I did some research into like the analysis of all their technical and their fundamentals. And, and I would look up, you know, best stocks to buy April 2022, whatever. Um, but I never took it too seriously. It was always a game. Um, and from there, I started touting on my financial success to everyone at school and there naturally be questions like, Hey Ben, how do I do this myself? And so from there, this was 2019, late 2019, I think October was my first episode of the kids CEO podcast where it was sure kind of initially financially, it was based around finance, Mm -hmm. but as I continued to do it, it slowly more became a, a Benjamin Wong in what I'm interested in, mm-hmm. right? So initially, I interviewed my mom for an episode. I, I talked about stocks, mutual funds. I took a little bit of a hiatus from the podcast, but in May, March, March of 2020, I came back to the podcast. With quarantine, I had a lot of extra time on my hands. So I came back to the podcast, released the episode every, every week for, I think, like 40 episodes or so. And I just kind of followed what was on my mind. One week, I was really interested in Bitcoin. And so I did an episode about blockchain. Next week, I was really interested in food and non-GMOs, talked about that. Next week, I really wanted to talk about what we're doing with, you know, the company and a new podcast we're running and the life of a, of a young startup founder. So I, I did a thing about that. And then in September, I really wanted to interview people. And I, I listened to podcasts like How I Built This by Guy Raz, and I thought there were a lot of really cool stories out there of kids who are doing these things. So I reached out to a few of them that I met, and then I just DM'd them on Instagram. Hey, I'm Benjamin Wong. I'm a fellow teen podcast host. I have a podcast. I would love it if you came on my show mm. to talk about your story. And a few of them said yes. And from September until December, of 2020, I interviewed kids in a really cinematic storybook style. And then from there, in February of 2021, I created the Kids CEO Summit as a way to kind of get everyone together in this cool virtual event. From there, I met these two brothers, the Torum brothers, who helped me to create the Young Trap podcast where it was kind of a similar focus to CEO, but more about like expert advice and actionable advice as well, not so much stories. Yeah. Um, and then now recently I created the Two Kids on the Block podcast, but we can talk about that later. You opened up some dialogue in a, in a lot of different areas, but first and foremost, really interested in your dad. Why do you think your dad guided you towards investing and gave you that $100? And I, like I said, really kind of like encouraged you to go explore the stock market? You know, my dad has always been a risk taker. Um, and so I think the stock market was was a good example of it. But even now, his thing was just to try things. Even if I wasn't super interested in the stock market at 11, um, it was still good that I tried it. So I think that's why he wanted to get me into stock market, not necessarily because he had enormous success in it. He didn't, um, and not because he was a stock broker or anything to do in finance. He wasn't, it was more just something else to try and stock trading was something that he thought I would be interested in. And he, and he just opened up an account and set me up. Uh, and you know, if I lost all the money, it's hundred dollars, um, it wouldn't have been detrimental to me or my family. And if I was successful and I really love stock trading, then great. But it was more just about trying things, taking risks. Yeah. yeah. That's a, a actually really important skill to be exposed at, especially around your yeah. age, because typically we're working the opposite direction. We're born and kind of naturally um, inclined to to risk-taking. And I feel like yeah. that kind of gradually falls off, especially as we go through school and we kind of narrow in on our focus and then yeah. we have more kind of sunk cost into the decisions that we are made. That, that are made. Right. Um, and then as 20-somethings, we're, we're typically caught up in, in those decisions and um, don't take as much risk as we should, even though 
you know, maybe aside from you, we're at the perfect stage of our life to take some of those risks, to try a different career out or to um, start a new project and, you know, see if it's successful or a failure, Um, different things like that, which I think is really fascinating and something you learned very early on. And in our intro call, you (laughs) mentioned uh, that I, I kind of questioned you on, on, not pursuing this traditional path, because I'm, I'm sure there might be some times where you just wish you could be normal might be the wrong word, but I'm just going to use normal here. Um, a normal teenager and you go to Friday night football and you go to prom and you work a, uh, work at an ice cream parlor or a fast food restaurant and, and you're gearing up for college and, you know, you pick something with inside of there that that's got to give you some sense of security. But I brought that up to you and your immediate response to me was, yeah, but I have the rest of my life to try that path. Why not try this untraditional path instead? Yeah, I mean, I think about that occasionally. You know, I'm I'm up against a tight deadline to release this announcement tomorrow, and maybe this would have been easier if I if I just didn't, you know, and I went back to a regular school, and there's no pressure there. I mean, there's different pressures that come with with being a regular high school student. But I can, I can always go back. I can go back, you know, once I finish high school, I can go back and graduate college and live the college experience. I can always get a job in 20 years at a regular company, live that life. For me, life, I am so grateful to be given this opportunity, one, to even be here, two, to wake up and have all people who love me and have all this opportunity in front of me. For, for me, it's too good of a chance to give up. Mm. And sure. And, and also important to note, if for everyone out there who's a teen or an adult who is living, you know, the, the regular high school life and, and going to Friday Night Football and prom, that's great because that makes you happy. I know that I really love business and that makes me happy just as much as going to homecoming makes you happy. And mm. if I can live that amount of happiness every single day. That's really worth it. At such a malleable age where most teenagers are following the crowd, you're instead staying true to yourself. And, and you um, posted a quote not, not too long ago on your Instagram that was keeping you. It's the shortest path to get to where yeah. you want to be. Instead of trying to mesh your um, your path and like your desire to be in the normal crowd, you just decided to create your own tribe, which, you know, was, I, I feel like one of the, the impetus behind this kid CEO summit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, who you were attracting and, and, you know, what you kind of did to, to create yeah. that community? So early on with kid CEO, uh, even before we really started to take things more seriously, later summer of 2020, I met a few people who would, you know, follow me on Instagram. I'd check out their work, follow them. I DM me with a few of them, two or three over the summer. Uh, it was really when I started interviewing people. That's when the community really started to grow because you know how these type of things work. You interview someone, you know, they share, you get more followers, you give them more followers and those followers are likely to be people who are interested in, in your stuff and that, you know, 1% at a time, you slowly start to build up this community. Um, I think that honestly, the podcast was a really, I would consider the Kid CEO podcast wildly successful, even though we don't have a, a huge number of, of listeners or, or following. But the biggest success that it gave me was these connections to everyone. You know, some of my closest business partners. I had brunch with someone I interviewed last year who I initially just said, Hey, I'm Ben. I would love to interview you on the podcast. And she had, you know, a huge amount of followers. I didn't think she would respond. You know, I had lunch with her last week Mm -hmm. and that's why I consider kids CEO looking back on it, a huge success because while we didn't achieve normal, you know, success in getting listeners or followers or, or a huge amount of traction that way, the people I met, throughout my time, you know, doing the show was invaluable. And that's really how I, I I created this community was interviewing people on the podcast, even if, you know, it didn't make an amazing episode, at least I can meet them and try to extract some value following people. I DM people on Instagram. I still do 
if I really love what they're doing. And I say, hey, I love what you're doing. Or, or I leave comments to other kid entrepreneurs. And that's really how the, the whole kid CEO community came about. So interesting. So tell me a little bit about the virtual event. What what happened? I, I believe you mentioned there was like 40 to 50 people there, which is a huge success for your first launch of a summit. Um, tell me a little bit about that day. So basically, there was this platform that we bought a lifetime uh, access to. My mom did. And she wasn't using it, so she gave it to me. And this was a while more back in like December. No, I think it was even earlier, November. Uh, and... I was like, wait, I can create a summit. Again, I was really inspired by how I built this and their summit. Yeah. Uh, I think even if you look back at some of the art, it's relatively similar, the graphic design. But I really wanted to create a version of that for kid entrepreneurs. And I, I knew I could do it my way and I knew I could, could make it pretty special. So I took this platform, uh, which let you do a ton of crazy things like creating stages or being able to have like network lounges where people can do like mini Zoom calls basically yeah. and you could join a new table. It was awesome. And that day I had a computer open. I had all my sisters monitoring different workshop rooms. So my sister and her boyfriend were in her room and they were, my sister was like helping one of the workshop hosts manage her thing. And then I had another sister spam the comments with emojis and I had my mom recording all of us. And, and it was like a little, it was a little HQ, you know, could CEO HQ, everyone manning the summit. And so it, it went off without a hitch, you know, two days, I think of interviews with some really cool people and people were able to come on stage and ask questions and really engage. Uh, you know, they're still friends today. Uh, two of them, one of my speakers and one of the audience members, one of them's in Delaware, one of them's in India, and they still interact till today. Wow. Um, and that was just really special for me and being able to go to different lounge rooms and seeing people make new friends. And that's really how the day went, you mm. know, there was a, a formal schedule of how things were supposed to go, but really it was just focusing on those main goals, connecting people, extracting value and everything else just came with it. Yeah. You've learned really early on the value of connections and, and meeting people and being invested in other people. That is something similar to investing. That's got to compound on itself at maybe a slow rate to start with, but very exponentially as you get older two people that you mentioned that you met, Adam and Matthew Torin, which um, led you to the opportunity to host the Young Trip podcast. Um, amazing. So it's really cool to see you like already getting, getting some of the dividends from investing in relationships. Is there somebody else that you, you met, um, you know, somebody that comes to mind like that without having, creating some of this action or some of the serendipity for yourself, like hosting your own summit, um, you might not have gotten another opportunity to, to have that. Like most people, most teenagers know other teenagers and me looking back whenever I was 15, I, I knew my friends and then maybe my friend's parents. And that was about it. You've met a crazy amount of people. We actually connected through, um, our Kirschberg, which is a, a former guest you interviewed, um, him on your show. Well, master networker, right. um, which has led us to know each other. I was not making these kind of connections at your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the beauty of the digital age and everything that's happened with internet, social media. No way 20 years ago would I, at 15 or even at age 25, been able to, to meet so many people for free, you know, with the push of a button, Yeah, basically. Um, and... I think it's really just a game of, of, of using up these opportunities. And I always say there's a huge amount of opportunity, even maybe there's, there's a ton now, there'll be even more in the future. Um, like for every kid out there who's ever wanted, to, or even every adult or 20 something, 30 something, 40 something, 50 something, who's wanted to do something, whether that's start up a jam company or launch a, a blog about sailboats, they have an enormous amount of opportunity with this digital age and everything that's happening uh, with NFTs and, and cryptocurrency, social media. There's an enormous amount of opportunity here to network, yes, but to do really anything. Um, and so I think that's the beauty 
of, mm. of, and that's again, back to what I talked about earlier with the amount of opportunity in front of me that I really can't, can't miss. There's an enormous amount of opportunity here for me to do whatever I want to do on, on the internet. And it's more possible than ever. And I, and I can't miss the opportunity. Yeah. So you cracked the door open. So I'm going to, I'm going to invite myself in. You mentioned, um, I, I think people can kind of see your, your love for how the internet has created opportunities for everybody. You mentioned NFTs and crypto as well. Tell me a little bit about two kids on the block. Um, and really like where, where you're like developing interest is going in the future of, you know, cryptocurrency and, and that world. Yeah. So I, I should start off by saying, I think I've always been a very curious kid. Um, you know, my parents, my relatives, I would ask them so many questions about, about everything and anything that definitely played a role in, in being a host on a podcast where I interviewed people. But when the whole idea of NFTs and cryptocurrency came around, initially I was skeptical, but then I took a different viewpoint, a more curious viewpoint. Mm. And it was like, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, I can, I can, this is a piece of art. I actually kind of like that and I can own that, you know? And, and then from there, taking it to a different depth of, oh, wait, while this works on art, this also works on plane tickets. Wait, I can actually, next time I do a summit, I can make the ticket an NFT. That would be so cool, you know? And then and then from there to a completely different depth was whenever I met someone, automatically uh, something popped into my mind of how they could utilize NFTs. And, and, you know, I would like to think that these are, you know, pretty cool ideas about how they could integrate NFTs. So that was what piqued my interest in NFTs and cryptocurrency was doing the research and then trans transitioning to different levels of thought about, about how they could be used. So in, I think October or maybe even November, I interviewed a guy named Kamea Lafontaine. He's 12 years old. He started doing Bitcoin when he was eight years old. I think what was actually the, the, the background to this was I wanted to do a project about cryptocurrency. I was in a supermarket in New York City in late September with my mom on a business trip. Um, she was doing a product demo and I was in the aisle board and I was searching up names for this idea and I typed in crypto kid um, and this guy popped up. So it was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I reached out to him, you know, hey, do you want to do you want to book an interview for my podcast? And he said, sure. And then that was, you know, a 20 minute thing. Afterwards, he interviewed me for his podcast. And then that was that. A few weeks later, I was thinking about it. And, and over time, I got even more and more and more interested in this whole space. And it was like, you know, I'm already in the podcasting space. I think it would be awesome to create a podcast and hopefully an ecosystem of, of NFTs and kids and cryptocurrency and kids. And who better than this guy who's 12, who knows more about Bitcoin than a lot of people yeah. who's been doing this for four he's, years. He's impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's a video of him at eight years old. I, I, I don't know what I was doing at eight years old, but he he was talking about Bitcoin and like crazy, probably a better speaker of Bitcoin at eight years old than, than I am now. But but who better to create a podcast with about this space than him? So I emailed him. We booked a five minute meeting on Zoom. I was like, hey, Kamea, I think it would be really cool to create a podcast out of this. And so this was November, I think, maybe even a little bit earlier. Um, we created the Two Kids on the Block podcast. Originally, it was called Crypto Talks, but we eventually changed it to Two Kids on the Block and just a weekly podcast talking about NFTs and cryptocurrency. What's really interesting is that our discussions are a really good reflection on the state of the industry. When we first started talking, there was a lot of news, um, but nowhere it does it pales in comparison to the amount of news and traction there is now even when we first started back then or i'm not going to say back then because it was like two three months ago but even when we started the short time that we've started there's been a huge amount of growth 
mm-hmm. change. And that's really reflected in our weekly discussions. So that's what I do now. Uh, we do that every week. We release on Fridays and we just talk about, and we try to simplify and explain a lot of things. A big thing is that this whole space is complicated. So we really try to simplify these complicated things like blockchain, Bitcoin, explaining things in a really simple manner. And we do this every week and we talk about news. We have kids on for Q and A's. We interview people just trying to get young people involved in this new emerging space. Before we go too deep down into crypto, I would love to pick at something that you mentioned before. And that was this transition that you made in your head with um, NFTs, blockchain, crypto. Most people were very much so like you. They hear it and they're like, yeah, right. Um, and they they tout yeah. it off. And you were talking about this transition that you've had when you develop curiosity or you lean into curiosity whenever something pops up on your radar, you're like, Hmm, that's interesting. And I can see that's probably a direct reflection of, um, your parents and like, you know, something like we were mentioning or talking about earlier with your dad, just being like, Hey, here's a hundred dollars, go explore the stock market. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you win it or, or yeah. if you, what you do with it. Um, the value comes from what you gain through the experience of learning. So interest, interesting. Um, so I can see how you got to, um, oh yeah, right. Crypto is nothing um, to, okay, I want to go and explore it. But how do you get from, okay, I know nothing about crypto to, I now run a podcast about crypto. What? Tell me about the first month or two of you learning a new subject. And if you want to use crypto, um, how, how you went about that? Cause for me at, at, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, I would hear about some of these things. It would sound grandiose yeah. to, you know, learn a little bit more about it, but my mind was off wandering about something else because it was kind of too complicated to really learn something new like that. (laughs) So I've never learned great from like textbooks. I learned better from books and YouTube and, and audio. So during that first month or two, I had my TV and I had my phone. I'm homeschooled. So I had the luxury of being able to watch NFT and cryptocurrency stuff during lunch and during breakfast. So I would uh, just go on YouTube and, and YouTube is good at getting you what, you know, related things. So I initially found a guy named Gary V. I knew him a little bit earlier, uh, but he talked a lot about NFTs and cryptocurrency and he had a ton of content about that, um, you know, hour long, two hour long interviews that he did that he posted. So I literally, for a lot of my breakfasts and my lunches, I would just play stuff and sometimes it can get boring you know a two hour long conversation but i just left it on and kept absorbing information you know i i can picture myself on my bed it's dark uh, you know doing laundry and, and watching another interview he did with someone or, or listening to this podcast or watching people who are learning about how to flip nfts uh, i have a opinion about that but but just exploring everything with the open mind and to be honest during those times, it honestly kind of felt unproductive. It was like, why am I watching so much YouTube, even though my entire history was technically educational stuff, learning about these type of things. So it was really just coming in with an open mind and, and being very curious and then making use of YouTube, Twitter, blogs, podcasts, which are free, readily available now, and then pairing that with curiosity and having an open mind. Mm. Really, really great response. So talking about Web 3.0, first, let's back up. Um, are, are we in Web 3.0 right now? And um, what is, if if I'm saying Web 3.0, we have to ask the obvious question too. What's Web 1.0 and what's Web 2.0? Yeah, so I'll go to that second question first. Okay. A very simple way to think about this, Web 1.0 is users can read content you know, delivered by newspapers or delivered by large companies or large public figures. Web 2.0 was users can absorb content created by other users, which means they can also create content or I'm not going to say content, but information or or anything. Web 3.0 is they can create information, absorb information on user created and managed platforms. So that's, that's the whole with Ethereum and decentralization. Yep. Some of you might have heard over over the holidays. So someone in your family is all about <laughs> Bitcoin and decentralization and all that kind of stuff. But that's a very basic 
way of explaining the difference of Web 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Web 1.0, anyone can, can, can absorb information. Web 2.0, anyone can absorb and create information. Web 3.0, anyone can absorb, create information on user cre user created and managed platforms. Gotcha. And so if, if I were to pull that back then and put it to an example, it sounds like Web 1.0 was the late 90s into the early 2000s on really the advent or the yeah. explosion of the internet. Web 2.0 was probably 2007, 2008. Yeah. Facebook um, and and some of the yeah. social media platforms that came up and Web 3.0 is in the current transition that we're in right now. Yep. And there's a huge, you know, I don't know if anyone's heard about Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey and oh, yeah. other opinions on, on Web 3.0. So it's, a, it's an interesting concept. I don't know exactly when it started or will start Web 3.0, um, but it's just a, a transitionary period. It's not a sudden thing, but but over the next few years, I think, and it's still being defined what Web 3.0 really is, but I think it's a transition that's happening, you know, in the next one to, to three to five years. Sure. So as an early student and explorer of Web 3.0, what gets you excited about it? As an entrepreneur, personally, what excites me about it, aside from the things people always talk about, is that I wasn't, I was born, but I wasn't an entrepreneur in 2007, 2008, I was two years old. So I, and of course, there's always opportunity, you know, even in the, the teens, but it feels like I'm in a really good place where I've, you know, built up a small community. I, I'm curious, I have access to resources, I have time to research this, I'm homeschooled. This is a really cool opportunity for me, just as there were Mark Zuckerberg's of 2007, 2008, Gary V's of 2007, 2008, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos's of 2000, 2001, Oprah Winfrey's. And it feels like I'm in a really natural place to, to be able to reprise one of those roles. And I'm not, I don't pressure myself to be because I've, I've also believe in patience, but it feels like a natural place that I'm in a good place to explore and really take action in a brand new emerging industry. And I'm still really early in it. And so that's what personally excites me about this space is it's still a wild west where I can really carve my, carve my, my personality into it. Um, but aside from the personal, what I'm excited about in the grand scheme of things is that it really allows an entirely different type of people to be successful and utilize the internet. And that's artists and creatives, uh, because while the in social media made it easy for them to promote their art or, or maybe become successful or, or, or maybe become famous for their art, it was so difficult for the majority of people to sell their art, which is, you know, the end goal, of course. So that's what excites me from an objective point of view is that it allows an entirely, and this is only the beginning, photographers, uh, video game designers, it, it allows an entirely different type of people who haven't been able to benefit from the social media space. It allows them to really, really, really maximize their opportunity here. It's something that I spend a little bit of time exploring. My brother, um, which, shout out to him, he, I'm sure he's listening right now, is, is really excited about this space. I think people are starting to understand crypto, but I'm not sure if a lot of people have their heads wrapped around the application for NFTs. So you mentioned as an entrepreneur, this has got to open up some things and digital art is one, um, but yeah. there's some other kind of fascinating things that that people are doing with NFTs. What's like a uh, an example sure. of something um, that a business has, has done um, around NFTs? This is still an an emerging thing because it's not easy to to transition you know your existing practices into nfts but i think what's coming up in the next huge artists or huge companies is for example nfts as concert tickets i was really hoping that olivia rodrigo would have done nfts as concert tickets for her thing maybe it'll be the next person but but concert tickets you know tickets as nfts i'm glad that the, that the nfl has made some games, their tickets grant you a free, uh, really cool, like animated ticket NFT that you can sell, buy, trade. Macy's Parade, 
they did a, a project, but it was a free project that anyone could claim one. I did a live stream about that. So those are the outside of just releasing a project where where NFTs can be applicable. Concert tickets, plane tickets, you know, imagine being able to, this is maybe not the happiest thing, but being able to buy a plane ticket from one of the 9-11 flights, you know, while it isn't like a good memory, it's, it's a piece of history. Sure. And, and then this could even be applied to mortgages, being able to buy a house with an NFT and you could write in the smart contract that, and this, someone would do this soon, that when you buy this NFT, you also get the deed to the physical house. Hmm. And you could list that as the NFT for half a million dollars. Someone buys the NFT house and you own the house. And so that's, it's the same type of thing with the internet in that it, it wasn't a specific technology that made one thing better. It's a type of technology that's gonna change a lot of different industries and it's going to have a lot of use cases. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the application, the, the multiple, multiple applications that it can be used for is, is definitely something to consider and be looked at. Don't only think that this is cryptocurrency, um, or some kind of like asset, uh, as you mentioned, there's, um, uh, so many other applications, especially eliminating a lot of the middlemen that are yeah. transaction brokers, like mortgage brokers, which I, I, I think will be quickly disrupted with this kind of technology. But the other thing that I just see an obvious initial application for is this like fandom piece to it. And there are so many fans that are, or, you know, even creatives that are wanting to get closer and more connected with their fans. And I think, um, NFTs are, are a great way to, um, create some of that synergy. I mean, we've seen so many yeah. softwares and tools and technologies come up with, with this because, um, with the decline of, of, you know, physical records and things like that, then creatives went to YouTube and they were making royalties off of YouTube, yeah. but then, um, they were still dependent on YouTube as a platform. And then we saw YouTube cut, right. um, cut some of those royalties and they were back to the drawing board. Um, and then there's the, the platforms now, um, why am I blanking on the names of them where, you know, you can be a monthly like subscriber or fan to, to a creative Patreon or yeah. Patreon. There we go. Patreon. And speaking of how I built this, I, I listened to the Patreon episode and it was very much so for that, that reason NFTs are going to be right. another step to this. And you mentioned you're somebody that likes collectibles. This yeah. is really the collectible industry just digitalized. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome that, that now things that would be considered geeky that I used to do, um, like I would buy Disney medallions that were collectible or I have pins up on my wall from Disney that were considered geeky or now like cool things. Mm-hmm. So well, that's always a good thing. Um, but it's, it's especially with creators, the thing about social media was that it made it possible for a lot of people to make, you know, a living and to make money off of their, their following the brand. But for the majority, 99% of people who have some growth, but not insane amounts, you know, millions and tens of millions of followers, you only like, for example, YouTube, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how much you get paid, but it's, or, or for podcasts, I, I know podcasts is like the minimum is like $15 per thousand or so. Mm-hmm. That's a relatively difficult amount, you know? where NFTs comes in is if it it no longer requires you to amass a huge following more, it amasses, it encourages you to amass a very loyal following, which I believe in, in creating more engaged followers rather than a, a larger amount of less engaged followers. But that's really where NFTs are amazing for creators, everyone out there, uh, for you, for me as creators. We no longer need a hundred thousand, you know, YouTube views in an episode to make money. We just need to focus on getting a hundred really loyal, really engaged followers and, you know, give them an NFT that gives them access to a really cool thing that you can provide like a, like a community, like a, if you're an artist, you know, who does YouTube, they can come in and you can do a portrait of them you know, when they buy an NFT and you only need a hundred of them to buy a hundred dollar NFT and that's like hundred thousand dollars or 10,000, something like that. Yep. So it, it no longer forces you to make or, and to try and get a huge amount of followers. It just forces you to engage your followers more. And it really changes the game for creators. 
Agreed. So as we're wrapping up this conversation, um, Benjamin, what I'm really curious, what is your response? Um, Cause this is a very traditional question to ask at your age. What is your response when someone asks you what you want to do when you get older? This is a, a tough one. I'll actually <laughs> have a post ready to go in like an, right after we finish, I'm going to post this. Um, the caption literally talks about this and the quote is about the future and not knowing the future. And that's one of the best parts to be very honest. I think there are a million different, I could imagine myself in a million different scenarios in five to 10 years. I am, I think more likely than not that I'll be an entrepreneur or be around this space somehow, whether that's in NFTs or whether that's in ABCs, which is the new phenomenon in 20 years, who knows? Uh, So I don't know the future exactly or or where that lies. Um, I don't even know if, if our society will be completely changed in 10 years. I do know that I'll continue to always have an open, curious mind and, and willing to share it to everyone and, and always, always researching and, and committing actions on the next thing. And I would like to think that those characteristics are going to help me be successful in, in whatever I, I choose to do. So you might not know the, um, the, the future, but you do know the kind of the immediate. Can you tell us you had an, um, a really cool announcement yesterday. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that announcement was? So we've talked a little bit, a bit about NFTs and how that's changing the game with creators, how that's changing the game for airlines, for singers. I also think it's going to change the game for philanthropy. And so throughout the Kids CEO podcast, I interviewed a lot of young philanthropists and I really want to set a blueprint for how other philanthropists, not just kids, adults, organizations, can find a way to make the whole nonprofit donating money a lot less one-sided. So as someone who donates money, you might donate $20 to ABC nonprofit. And while that does create good, it makes you happy, it's a one-time thing, right? Unless you donate a huge amount of money and then be able to name a building after you. But that's mainly how it goes. If you're donating $10, they send you a nice thank you. If you donate a little more, they maybe send you a note. My whole thesis with this is that philanthropy can be made a lot more fun. And that's the name of the game now is that a lot of young people, people who listen to the show, people my age, uh, they want more fun. And there's a, a way through NFTs to make the entire idea of giving money and making a change, but also extracting a cool experience for you as well. Maybe even an asset that you can use as an investment or to hang up on your wall. And so I got together with Jaco Jackson, another one of the people I initially interviewed on the Kid CEO podcast last year, starving. I don't know that for sure, but it's somewhere around that. And I think we need to live in a much happier society. And aside from mental health and depression, for the people who are complaining about, about, and I said, Hey, you have an organization project. I am, I love what you do there. What if you could create some sort of sports card slash ticket slash this all around hybrid philanthropy NFT project where your audience, and he has a good amount of audience members who really, really love you and want to support you. What if you can make a way for them to be able to do that and for you to also provide them something awesome? So we got together and decided to create Kids CEO Heroes. This is an NFT project that basically works as follows. One, you can buy a Jaco Jackson collectible NFT. And I know that the majority of the audience is in Jaco's audience. So um, basically you buy an NFT, you, you get access to a few experiences, like a, like a virtual movie night where we'll send you, you know, like a gift box of, of a bunch of goodies from Chicago where he lives and a ton of other things, but you also get a really cool collectible and 50% of the proceeds go to continue to support Jaco's work in this space. So 
Um, I'm not going to get too much in detail because, like I said, the audience for the project is Jaquil's audience, more more or less. Um, but that was really the thinking behind it. If I think there's some value for your audience there, was philanthropy, making it more fun, and making it more fun by by making it not as one sided and being able to to provide value for both sides. Super exciting, man. I am stoked to see what you do in both the near term and the long term future. We mentioned a lot of the projects, your your podcast, um, so Kid CEO probably being your seminal podcast, um, but also having some other podcast out there, Two Kids on the Block, um, another great one if you're interested in this later half of the, the conversation that we've been having. I think um, both of you do a great job of breaking down some of the basics and really kind of giving us a glimpse into the industry. Um, Thank you. If, if you're just kind of looking for all the projects, I, I know you got a website out there, benjaminwong.co. You can go and, and link out to a lot of your social media and you're pretty active on Instagram as well. And that's official Benjamin Wong. Benjamin, my last question for you. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? I thought about this question all day. I would say, and I don't know if I'm 100% qualified to teach this, maybe the Dalai Lama <laughs> is better, happiness. Mm. Happiness, if I could teach one thing to college students, again, I don't know if I'm super qualified. I think you know there are people more qualified, but happiness. Because I think so many people don't understand the reality of, of their situation, how how and of course there are things like mental health um that are also factors but but for the majority of people how like grateful i am that we all are you know there are a billion people who don't have access to clean water every day uh, or, or there are half a million kids who are it's being too cold outside or 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 being too hot or or the people who are angry all day because they spilled their coffee on the table you know these are all things that are are relatively minuscule things in the grand scheme of things and these are all you know emotional ingredients kind of these are all emotional factors that are things that need to be worked on but if i had to teach a class to a group of graduates i would really love to teach a class about about happiness very well said man and that would probably be an ongoing class forever it is very hard to um yeah. How to, you know, to lump everything that needs to be learned around that topic into a 16 week class. It is something I struggle with and continue to struggle with and um, learn more about. And a lot of it is nothing that I need to do differently, but as you mentioned, a perspective change. So Benjamin, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Super excited to stay connected in the future. Thanks so much, Justin. I had an amazing time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.